Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It is a Monday, February 14th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Bill Meltzer going to join us in just a second. And on a subsequent episode this week, we're going to have to get to some of the responses I got on social media when I asked the question, the three-word question, what is wrong? You can make it five words. What is wrong with the Flyers? Actually, that's six. But anyway, um, so we got some great responses. People sent me DMs. I got a lot of tweets, and we will get to those. And we're going to discuss what is wrong with the Flyers uh, in this episode with Bill Meltzer as well, because identifying what is wrong is the first step to, f- to fixing things. You have to identify what doesn't work, what does work, what could work better, what could work worse, all of those things before you can move forward and really do things the right way and construct a very good NHL team. It takes so many different elements to get it right. So we will do that coming up, and I'll read some of those responses I got from people coming up in an episode this week. Uh, Also, Tuesday, tomorrow's game day, Flyers and Penguins on the road before they come home, and an eight-game homestand, four games to round out the month of February, four games all at home, to start out the month of March. But let's get to them right now from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how you doing? We are doing well. How about you? Doing good. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday as we're taping this, because as people know, we don't get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and record the podcast and then put it out, right? Uh, So it's there when people get up. We do it a little bit the night before. And last year on Super Bowl Sunday, I saw your tweet. It was Sunday, February 7th, Super Bowl a year ago. And since then... It's been rough hockey in Philadelphia. Yeah, that uh, you know, it's funny because that 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 Super Bowl Sunday game was almost the mirror image of uh, you know of, of the last game in Detroit, where Flyers only had twenty four shots on goal in that game. Somehow they scored seven times in the twenty four shots, so it that that uh, that'll erase a lot of mistakes. It was a, it was an ugly game. They were kind of outplayed in that game, but they won, and I think they were eight eight three and two or something like that at that point in the season. You know, um, and then there, then from there, it was, it was straight downhill, you know, but, it, but I guess it can tell, I guess it shows you how much something can change in a year, you know, that uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. And you look at a team like Detroit and Bill, they, they were a team that was, I mean, they just beat the Flyers in the back-to-back. It's hard to beat an NHL team two times in a row, especially when one's not a pronounced just juggernaut, but they, the Detroit did that. They double up the Flyers 6-3, they double up the Flyers 4-2. The home and home, they get all four points. They're now within five of a playoff spot. Don't think they'll make it, but they may make it interesting at least uh, with some of the things Boston's going through. But when I look at this Detroit team, Bill, I mean, they really bottomed out. They were bad. They didn't get any lottery luck. They ended up having uh, two six-round picks or six overall picks and one number four overall. Sider and uh, Philip Zadina were taken six overall, and Lucas Raymond was taken fourth overall. And I see all three players in their lineup, 2018, 2019, 2020, first round selections, all playing. And I got to say, I'm a little jealous. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they, for up to that time period, I mean, they were building around Dylan Larkin and you could, Larkin was a guy you could tell pretty quickly was going to be a guy you could build around. Um, maybe, maybe taking that next level took a little longer than, than you might've thought at first in his career. And it's not always, you know, it's not always just, the, a linear linear progress i mean he had some ups and downs but but you could all you could always see that the town the speed were there 
And then them in the last three, particularly particularly Sider, you know, and and uh, Raymond are two fast up and coming players in the NHL. I mean, it, it uh, you know they still have a process to go through. They're not they're not there yet. But you can you can see they look like a team that's on the rise, and they look like they're rising faster than actually a team like uh, Jersey is. And Jersey Jersey was picking first overall a couple yeah. of times. It, it just it just it just speaks to obviously the drafting, so but also the development side. I mean, you have to be, you know, there's a there's a skill involved in it, but it's, all, it's also a little bit of luck, you know. There so you know there's some art, there's some there's some, some art, there's some science. There's also a little bit of good fortune that's involved because. You know, as, as you could see, like in, in uh, the Rangers, like Capo Caca was supposed to already be, you know, uh, if he was supposed to already be a, a top goal scorer in the NHL. And he might very well get there. You know, you just you just don't know sometimes so somebody's in the NHL and actually doing it, you know. Um, yeah, prospects are great, Bill, right? And having good prospects is great. But if it only matters if they develop into good professional players. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and uh you know, I, I I raised this point with Danny Briere when uh, he was doing his press conference the other day. You know, if you if you look back where the prospect rankings were, and I, I don't just mean you know stuff that I might post or I'm talking about people like people like Bob McKenzie and and uh, you know Craig Button, the national pundits, and when they were doing their their ratings, they had the flyer system top three, top five at the lowest for about a three four year period in there. Yeah. Um, so guys were developing through their junior career or in some case collegiate career, exactly where you'd want them to be at the point they turn pro. But there haven't been a lot of guys who've taken that next jump once they've turned pro to where they, you know, uh, now a guy like uh, Farabee is, is a contributing player in the NHL and, you know, whatever. But I mean, just, just that kind of level where like Cider, like look, he's going to be a, a real impact defenseman in the NHL for a long time to come. That's what he looks like. Right. And Raymond has that upside too. Where he, you could see him being a significant impact player for a long time. I mean, the Flyers haven't had that, and yeah, I mean, there there is there is a little bit of envy there because it sure it sure would be nice to have that. Yeah, be one of the things that we could take out of this sideways season is that hey, you got these young guys that are in the lineup, cutting their teeth. Yeah, they may make some mistakes, but they're showing you upside in a bright future. You know, I went back and yesterday tweeted it out as some of those you know those farm system reports. The Flyers were number five in this one in, in particular. I think it was from the Hockey News in 2016. The, the player on the rise was Travis Konechny, who in that OHL season, 60 games played, 30 goals, 101 assists. You know, that's the weird thing, though, Bill. We've seen, you know, blips from these players, whether it's Konechny, Sanheim, Provorov, um, you know, others, where they've had a good season or good stretches and whatever it might be. I mean, Konechny was an all-star two years ago. But it's the inconsistency that's part of that. So how do you kind of attribute why that's kind of crept in to be such a problem? Is that, is that kind of the, the malaise or the stigma that's following the team right now and it's rubbing off onto everybody? Because the only thing they've been consistent at is being inconsistent. Right. I mean, you know, it, 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 I do think it has to be a little bit of product of environment. Um, and you can even look at some of the second-tier guys, right? Look at, uh, look at Nick Aubé-Cubel. And I, I didn't have a problem with the Flyers waving. He'd been waved a year before. He'd gone unclaimed, you know. But he had – it looked like, it looked like he, he had figured things out in 2019-20 with the Flyers. He, he was a contributing player. He looked like a guy who might be able to even break into the top nine, you know, and, and he looked to be on the rise. And then he was – he had a terrible year last year. He was off to pretty much an equally bad start this year almost immediately from when he went to Colorado 
you know, and, and he's never going to be a superstar there or whatever, but it, it would be nice to have, you know, young players contributing to the level he is there. It's the same, it's the same player, right? He went, he went to a different environment, was put it, put in a, in a role where he's succeeding, you know, and so then you, then you look at the guys that are in the system. Okay. How many, how many guys are there that, that, you know, put them in the right place, the right time, the right opportunity, you know, they could take that next step too. Now, hopefully, now, hopefully a guy in-house like Isaac Ratcliffe might be able to do that, for example. Um, you know, he, he's so far, he's making the most of his chance. Now, you know, there's still going to be growing pains or going to, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Morgan Frost, and when he first came up, he scored in his first two games in the NHL. And he scored two goals since then. And it's not that he can't score goals. or yeah. you know, Something somewhere is just not clicking with a number of these guys. So, you know, I, I don't know the answers, but I, I do think it is as much to do with uh, not, not the talent level, but it has to be unlocked. And whether, you know, I mean, players have their own account, players are accountable for their own play, but as an organization, you, you want to, you know, you, you want, you want to bring guys on a little bit better than they have. And, and one thing that, that Danny said to his credit is the development side is an area where the flyers, can and need to do better and i would agree with that yeah absolutely i mean you look at it and there's just been too much inconsistency regression progression than regression that it leaves a lot to to be desired because you know with those young players that's that's your core going forward and you're constantly replenishing that but like you're right i mean there has to be accountability and you know nick albay kubel didn't play well last season and then was off to an equally bad start there's the accountability we wave you now you're gone but he's flourishing there uh, with a team that's obviously very good yeah. and has a ton of depth and could really do something magical. And let's bring it right to, you know, a lot of the conversation and, and Flyers are apparently scouting Colorado pretty hard, um, both their AHL team, NHL club, and every all points in between. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of chatter that that's the likely destination for Drew. You know, it is until it's not, <laughs> you know, right. and right. until a deal, a better deal perhaps comes you know, to their forefront from somewhere else that he would agree to go to. But, you know, we're now sitting here on the 13th of uh, February, people hearing this on the 14th, and we're still five weeks away from the deadline. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I mean, things have a, as you said, sometimes things have a way of changing quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody is, I mean, I, I take it back to, you remember when the, the Flyers were the front runners for, for Ray Bork? And it was Philadelphia, 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 right? And, I mean, Bob Clark uh, did not want to part with Simone Gagne. You know, now, now the name in, now the name you keep hearing is New Hook. And, you know, they have, they have other quality players in, in Colorado, too. But, you know, Gagne's not an exact – Gagne and New Hook are not an exact uh, comparison. But, but still, a young, rising player who they didn't want to give up on. And, and then you look back, though. I mean, the Flyers had their window of time in those years, and they came close twice. You know, in, in 2000, 2004, they came within one win of getting to the cup finals. You know, I don't know. We, we know how – and it's an, to me, it's an interesting question, Jason. If you had it to do all over again, and it, the, the price was going to be Gagne, who you, and you know he's going to go on to – you know, so you – Let's say he has the same career, has two 40 goal years, several all-star games and Olympics, a high, you know, high end impact player. If you would have made that trade and let, let's say they do win a cup with Bork there, you look back and go, 
hey, that was that was worth it. I I mean, you you only have some you have only so many kicks at the can. I yeah. I would be inclined to say yes, and I say that as somebody who had a world of admiration for you know Gagne's career and and was glad to get to witness it. But I'm saying that you only you you only get yeah you, know, you only get so much time. You only get so many opportunities. There are going to be years you have injuries, you have this and that, right? If Colorado thinks their time is now to win it, there's that opportunity. To me, you know, to me, they have to go for it. And yeah. the, the Flyers have the kind of a player to offer where it could put a team over the top. So, you know, if it's not going to be Colorado, there might be a, there might be another team that swoops in at the last minute. And Colorado was actually the team, but you know, going back to the Bork thing, they they really, you know, nobody was talking about Colorado. And they were last in the weeds. Day, yeah, <laughs> last day, yeah, they they just swooped in and the deal was done. You know, and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I remember ESPN too talking about it. it was just inevitable that the Flyers were going to get Bork. It was just a question of what the final package would be. Then all of a sudden, he goes to Colorado. Could very well be the same thing with Giroux. The, you know, it you hear you hear about Colorado. You know, some other team might pop up, a Boston or whoever, and then a third team that's not even mentioned comes in at the last minute. Yeah, um, St. Louis or Minnesota. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, some trades, some trades get discussed and discussed and discussed and finally happen or finally, you know, finally don't happen. And some trades happen very quickly. So it's, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I would, I would say that any team that wants a position itself for a deep playoff run could do a lot worse than acquiring Fodger as, you know, as we've seen over watching his career. Yeah, and this year included where he still has plenty of game left. You know, Bill, that brings me to Sean Couturier because, you know, the big news this week was that he had back surgery and he's going to be lost for the rest of the year. It's a three-month recovery period that he can get to training for next season and the timetable is he's good to go for next season. Now, we never like to hear the words back surgery. That's two words that, you know, they try and avoid surgery for good reason. You just don't want to do it, but... Uh, it got to a point where they just had to, and they had to, the timing had to work out as well. And you know he's entering year one of a new eight-year deal at seven point seven five million beginning next year. And I, there's a lot of revisionists out there right now saying, "Oh, you should have traded him after he won the Selkie." You don't do that, obviously, but and that he won't age well because he's not the most, you know, the greatest skater, you know, in the NHL. But to me, his game's not predicated on his skating ability. It's like Giroux. It's more predicated on positioning, hockey IQ, sense, awareness, and a pretty damn good skill set, even though the skating's not McDavid-esque. Sure. Listen, you know, how is, uh, how's Ryan O'Reilly's, you know, stock? Clumsy. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and he's, he's hard. As a matter of fact, I would say, you know, I would say he's a lesser skater than Couturier. Ryan O'Reilly is just outright slow. But it doesn't matter because he's such a smart player, such a good two-way player. He's been fine. And you never watch him and say he's slow because he's always going yeah, to the right exactly. places. Exactly. And and that that matters more. You know, yeah. that the hockey IQ matters more. And you know, when when Boston signed Patrice Bergeron to the big extension, he was 29 years old. He had career-threatening concussion issues at the time. There was a lot of risk in that trade. How how is Bergeron age in his 30s? How is uh you know, uh, how is Anji Kopitar aged in his 30s? Couturier, to me, will be the same Will be the same way. He's, he's, this is the first season he's ever missed significant time. And as you said, you never want to hear back surgery. Um, you know, I, I'd like to get a little more detail because there's so many different kinds of back surgeries. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it really, it could be, you know, it, it could be truly something that it's over and done with and you never, never an issue again, you know, or it could be something that, you know, hopefully in a worst case scenario, it could be the kind that, you know, recurs and is a career threatening thing. And that obviously is a worst case scenario, but I, I think you, I think you just hold back and, you know, and it is truly revisionist history because I don't remember anybody 10 games into the season when Katori hit 12 points already yeah. saying, ah, he's, he's on the downside. You know, he, he's still, you know, he, he still is a, a very high end hockey player, still an elite two way center in this league. Flyers have missed him a ton. And that's for sure. So. Uh, from from the time when he really stepped into a very prominent role and beyond just the, the third line checking center in the 17-18 season, he's missed two games in those next in those three years. 82 he played in 17-18. In 18-19 he played 80, so he missed two that year. And then uh, the uh, 69 game regular season that they had leading into the COVID pause, played all games. Then last year played 45 of 56, and this year obviously only 29 and over that time he's damn close to being a point per game player not to mention i always talk about it bill the sport is cumulative preventing goals is as important as getting them and he at both ends of the ice he may not be a superstar and flashy and they need high-end talent which you and i have talked about and chuck mentioned and danny briere mentioned as well and how do they accomplish that we shall see but bill the question i asked the audience you know yesterday was what is wrong to to fix anything you have to know what is wrong first you have to be able to identify what's wrong to move forward and fix it properly and i came up with a, a list and i just like off the top of my head and just wrote them down injuries and re-injuries you got to yeah. look at you know are we bringing players back too early are we not diagnosing properly I, I can't speak to it in any kind of detail i'm not a doctor i don't know that that field um, the lack of, quote, high-end talent, the inability to score, not enough snarl and grit and size and accountability for the opposition. Do the pieces fit? You know, all these things, special teams, the power play, lack of progression in young players, uh, organizational DNA and identity. You know, some contracts, you know, you look at Hayes' contract, JVR's going got one more year. I brought up Couturier's. But when you look at all those things, when you, you look what, at what is wrong, they got to do an account, an account, accounting of all of those things and more. Right. And I mean, honestly, you know, you mentioned the word identity. What, what identity do you want to have? What kind of team do you want to be? You can, you can win in this league different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you, you could be a, you can be a speed team. You could be a, you know, a big physical team. I mean, when, when LA was in contention all those years or Anaheim, those are, those are big, heavy hockey teams, you know, uh, you know, so you, you can win different ways. Um, I, I think the Flyers are kind of stuck in between where I don't think they're, I don't think they're big and strong enough. And I don't think they're fast enough either. I think that's, you know, they're, they're kind of caught in the middle of, of a variety of things. Um, you know, I, I think a couple seasons ago when the Flyers uh, were the stingiest team in the NHL in terms of shots against, and they were seventh in goals for and seventh in goals against, that was a good identity. And they hit, yeah. they hit him that for that one year. And for whatever reason, it all went away and it has not come back. Um, you know, and that's, that's not just, you know, that's not just Matt Niskin. That's a lot of things. That's a lot of things that have gone wrong between now and then. But I, but I, I felt like they were really on the right track because if, when you can do that, when you can have the, that underlying thing where you're, you know, you're not giving up many chances, but 
plus you can also put up a top third of the league offensively, that's going to be a playoff team every year. Yeah. And then, and then, like I said, it just went south in a hurry, and it just has not come back. And there have been a number of things we can point to. As you said, guys who look like they were had arrived, like a Konechny, who've taken a step back, Provorov's another. Young players who look like they were taking that next step, you know, and I mean prospects at that point. Um, you know, the the loss of Niskanen. I mean, there have been a wide variety of things. Carter Hart not having a very good year last year, although he's bounced back really this year. So, you know, there's a lot of things you can point to, but I think you have to start with, okay, what is the identity we want to have? And how how do we get to that point? So you know, it, it's not a it's not a total redo, but I think you have to take stock as to what's going to help you that's in-house get there and what can you move out to potentially change some things things around. Um, it really it doesn't really take as many players as people think sometimes to, to turn a team from a lower end to an upper end now. But I do think you need at least one really high end player. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the Rangers, right? Panarin. <laughs> Panarin has certainly helped. It would be very nice to have a Panarin who goes, I, I want to play in Philadelphia. You know, that because yeah. he, he was really going to New York, you know, uh, or an Adam Fox come in and, and as a rookie, you know, say, I, I want to play in New York. Um, one thing, too, that as you're building and and really it becomes more uh, – usually, usually when you're in the middle of that process or starting the process, you, you create cap space. So you're able to bring players in. I'm interested to see, you know, once you build that contender, how flexible and creative are you going to be in putting those final pieces in place? The Rangers this year actually have the ability to add pieces of the deadline. Yeah. Next year when Adam Fox goes from an entry-level deal to $9 million a year, all, the, all of a sudden that the cap becomes much tougher to manage. And uh, that, that's something, too, that when – one thing I think is really important in, in today's game – is that you have your established guys, but you need to have some guys who are part of the core, who are either on their entry level deals or just off their entry level, so they're on a, you know, they're on a bridge deal, still kind of proving themselves, and they take that step forward while they're still affordable, yeah. because uh, you know, and I mean, one of a lot of things I think that uh, you know, fairly and unfairly get pinned on Ron Hextall is I think that while. Claude Giroux and, and Jake Voracek were in their primes. You know, they were still trying to stock up on the farm system. But they had that little bit of window of time where Provorov was still on his entry level, on his, you know, on his entry level contract, or, or Sanheim was on his entry level contract. You really needed guys to take a jump then while they were still affordable. And then you had those other pieces, and you could add a veteran piece to that. And then yeah. who knows how far you get. And that was lost time, unfortunately. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the other part of it, too, you mean you have to in our flat cap world and we'll see if it goes up and how much this year with so much lost revenue north of the border, especially with, you know, attendance limitations, how that's going to affect that. Gary Bettman said last week he didn't think it would, uh, but we shall see. And you got to get contributions, meaningful minutes and contributions, which brings us full circle right back to Detroit. And those three players, the 18, 19 and 20 first uh, dra round draft picks that are are all contributing on their team to varying degrees that you got to be able to do that and, and develop that talent. Last thing, Bill, you know, when you look at uh, this season and, and how sideways it's been and, you know, the, the prospect of turning it around and adding high end talent, 
you know, that's that seems to me, you know, like the catchphrase of what they're going to their marker is going to be this offseason and how they're going to attack it by getting a piece of high end talent. And one of the names that's out there, and I know he's been mentioned as a guy that the Flyers may be interested in, and he scares me to death. And he's a Colorado Avalanche player, and he is having a hell of a year. And that's Kadri, Nazem Kadri. And I get it. He fits the the old Flyers DNA and plays with an edge and plays at that line or over it at times, as we've seen, especially in the playoffs. But he's a 30-year-old player. And, he, and to me, he's not one of those players that has a half a step to lose, like no. a Milan Lucic didn't or James Neal didn't, right? And they got those seven times seven deals and going, uh-oh, they yeah. can't play. And I'm not saying he can't play for a few years, but – he scares me as a possible target. Yeah, you know, if you, it, you know, because you you have a you have Kevin Hayes here, and you have you mm-hmm. have you know, and you have Couturier here, and and Kadri's, Kadri's, as you said, he's a good player and a two way player, and, and all the rest of that too. You know, you don't want you want to have too many guys around that age making a, what about what it would take to bring him here. Um, you know, in, in certain mixes, I, I absolutely go for it. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I think I think that the potential risks are as high as the rewards. Plus, you know, plus there have been times where where Kadri just uh, just does something that'll you know get him in trouble. I mean, he said he's had his, his share of run-ins with uh, uh, the Department of Player Safety, and not that that's always a bad thing. I mean, truthfully and fairly or unfairly, I mean, you look at a guy like like Marshawn, right? Marshawn's sitting for six, but, you know, but guys, guys give him a little space because he has that rep that, you know, but I, I think that, uh, I think with Kadri, if the Flyers had other pieces in place and they didn't, you know, so let's, let's, let's take it back to 1920, you know, if, if it was, if, if that would have been the time to get Kadri, if, you know, had he been available or whatever, but I mean, you know, they, they, they tried to make that move with Hayes and I don't know, I, I don't, I don't see, you know, I, I don't see Cadre as being the right piece. Um, you know, if uh, that 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 would concern me, particularly if, if that is the big move this offseason. Um, so I, I think I think there are certain mixes he'd be a, a great fit in. I don't think that that's the right fit here. I, I agree. I, I lied. Last question now, um, and it's regarding LTIR because you can explain this better than I can for sure, and most people. You know, the LTIR issue, you know, that Couturier has the surgery. He's now on LTIR for the season. If Ryan Ellis goes on that as well, and you have all these guys, essentially, can the Flyers take on more cap, provided it's expiring, um, to help a team out and therefore get more in return for any deal that they make at the deadline? Well, you have you. Okay, so you have your allowance to exceed the cap. The problem with LTIR, the reason why it's never ideal to use it, although, you know, team like uh, Toronto and especially uh, especially Tampa use it masterfully. But the problem the problem with that is then you then you, then you end in with bonuses that you owe after after the season. You're over the cap, and you know what happens with the overages is that comes off of your cap available available space for the year after that. So that would be penalized. Yeah, like Vegas forward. is in this this boat right. now too if stone is yeah. hurt for the year that they don't have to really do anything to bring eichel in otherwise right. they got to shed 10 million right exactly exactly and it, it helps it helps you manage to get through the season you know you, you're not really in position to to take on other teams you know cap issues just because you don't you don't end up in a situation where you're 
you know, you're getting penalized on your next cap hit. So it's really, you know, they, it's, uh, I don't exactly know how the formula works with the, uh, you know, with the bonuses and what flyers might be eligible for them, but you don't want to end up, you don't want to end up with penalties in the cap. If you do, you know, minimal ones. So uh, you just, you're creating a lot of problems if you're bringing in a lot of cap and you have guys that are, are owed for this or that and, you know, signing bonus installments or whatever, you know, performance-based. I, I, I didn't really look at the bonus situation, but you need, you need to be careful with it. If the Flyers really, the short answer is that it's not easy to, to do, just say, okay, they, they want to dump a 7 million salary who that's expiring at the end of the year. You, you want to, you want to pile up your LTIR and bring that guy in. Right. You, you can do it if you can do it for the short term. It's not really, it's not really something that uh, as, as a cap management planning thing, it's not, uh, it, it's not ideal. It's not, it's not meant for that. Yeah. It, there's gotta be a consequence to doing it. <laughs> and, and the consequences yeah. is pain that you're kicking the can down the road on. Yeah, exactly, and, and exactly. you know, the other part of it too is, you know, for the flyers and, you know, you want to be in a, a very malleable cap situation going forward when you're trying to grab, you know, high end talent. And, you know, if you're sitting there taking on some headaches and it's going to limit your ability in free agency or in any acquisition that you try and make. So last thing for you, Bill, you know, the offer sheet is few and far between. We saw the one with Kakanyemi last year that Carolina just absolutely loaded year one. Now he's got to be tendered at a high number, though, um, going forward. And he's an RFA. But, you know, to get high end talent, one of the ways you can do it is you can structure a deal and find somebody to sign a sheet. Any chance that they go that direction? Because it's bold. They've done it before with Shea Weber. They did it with uh, Ryan Kessler. Didn't work in either yeah. occasion, but not something yes. the organization's been averse to. Yeah, no, I, no, but the team has been in a little different situation at those points too. Yeah. You know, if, if you're, uh, you know, if you're going with after the top end guys, you know, you're talking about, love, we're talking about up to four, up to four first round picks, you, yeah. you know, like a, so that, I mean, that'd be the maximum. I mean, that, that's an awfully steep price, yeah. you know, particularly, particularly in a, in a game where so much of it is we were just talking about is getting, getting high end talent. That's still affordable. And because you got to use uh, those picks going forward to, to help you in season add pieces if you're knocking on a door. Yeah. And that's uh that, that's another option too. you know, go going forward long-term, you know, First round picks carry a lot of weight in, in trade talks, just just for, for the reasons we were saying. Even even uh, you know first round picks that figure to be in the middle to bottom third of the round, maybe not the very end, like the you know you win the cup or whatever. But I mean those those have uh, you know those have value. So that that's a lot of value to be giving up. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible if you if you really think, hey, this is a franchise play, changing player, you know. A, not maybe not Connor McDavid, but a but a close to you know what I mean just a mm-hmm. just a guy the guy who's a game changer. Then maybe then maybe you think about it, right? I I I there's a reason why we don't see many uh, offer sheets. Um, the Cockney thing was you know a revenge thing more than anything else, which yeah. is not a not not a great mo truthfully. But I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> but I, I I don't know. I mean, I I, I wouldn't say it's impossible. Um, I I would say that that I think that. Uh, as compared to previous GMs, Homer and, and Clarky, you know, I, I don't think, I, I don't think that would be top of the list or high or high on on Chuck's priority list to do that. But again, not impossible. You know, the thing is too is it, it. There's a lot of pain that comes after it. You don't have that draft equity going forward to help your team. 
yeah, it gets you excited, but does it ultimately get you where you need to go? That's right. the thing, you know, yeah. and I don't know that it does. And, you know, I'm not even sure what the RFA market looks like this summer to where they would, you know, find that high end talent there. I mean, you look back on the Pedersen one, but he's even had a down year. You got to be careful. You're still dealing with young players that nothing's a guarantee. You go way out on the limb like that and it doesn't work out. And the guy kind of hits the skids a little bit. Boy, <laughs> you are toast. As, as an organization for a long time. You become the Arizona Coyotes. It happens. <laughs> All right, Bill, that's going to put a wrap on it. Thanks for doing this as always. That's Bill Meltzer. You can read his work at PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. We'll give you a preview of the Flyers-Penguins tomorrow on another brand new episode of Flyers Daily. Have a great Monday, everybody.